This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. After some unfortunate experiences, Kirk Riddell wanted to provide better opportunities for young female soccer players in Los Angeles. Soon after, Tudela FC LA was born. The club, led by Jacob Tudela, is dedicated to teaching the beautiful game and building the future of soccer in Los Angeles. So in this episode, you are going to hear Kirk talk about the lack of options for girls soccer in the heart of Los Angeles, which I emphasize heart because there's plenty of soccer in Southern California, but the heart of LA, Hollywood to be specific, from uh, my experience going to watch the Tudela FCLA girls train, is a completely different story. So the lack of options uh, for girls soccer in the heart of Los Angeles. Uh, He's also going to talk about the battle for field access and why that is such a huge battle. And you are going to hear him talk about when he realized this is an actual fight and not just youth soccer. So there's a lot of topics that we touch on. Kirk is a very passionate guy. In addition to being a soccer dad and helping one of the most progressive clubs in Southern California do their business, he is also a writer and producer in Hollywood. And his latest project is more of a passion project, but it is called Soccer Town USA. And Soccer Town USA is a documentary about the historic soccer scene in Kearney, New Jersey. It will be debuting June 7th, 2019 at the Kicking and Screening Film Festival. You'll hear Kirk talk about that and name drop a bunch of different characters that uh, he grew up with, that he learned from, that are still involved in American soccer today. So it's just another example of how rich of a history American soccer really has. And we cannot forget that when people try to limit it or just pigeonhole the start of American soccer in the mid nineties. So, uh, I'm very excited to see that, uh, that film. And I am very excited to introduce you to Kirk Riddell. You can find links to Tudela FC LA and soccer town USA in the write-up for this podcast, which is available on three, four, three coaching.com. This podcast is supported by Bounce Athletics. Finding high-quality and reliable training balls and numbered training vests can be challenging, but Bounce Athletics has you covered. They are offering 343 listeners an additional 10% discount on orders, and I just spoke to Zach Jonker, founder of Bounce Athletics, about a new package deal that they are offering to help coaches get ready for tryout season. You can order 24 of their custom soccer balls and 24 of their custom numbered reversible training vests for $6.99. They also have a package deal that comes with 48 balls and 48 vests for $11.99. And the training vests are great for colleges, high schools, and camps that are looking for ways to identify players and keep training sessions organized and to just keep themselves on track instead of having to worry about who's who, what's what, where's where. Everything just stays nice and tidy and organized. And the balls that you get in that package, well, the balls are on par with brands like Nike and Adidas and Select. And I highly recommend them. The players that I coach are constantly fighting over the Bounce Athletic balls that I have in the ball bag. I use products from Bounce Athletics in every single training session. And I only agreed to bring them on as a sponsor of this podcast because I actually like and use their products. So if you want to see what they are all about, please check out their products. And if you are ready to submit your order, you can do that by emailing info at bounceathletics.com. 
but make sure that you mention 343 so that you receive your additional 10% discount. That is a very crucial ingredient in that deal. If you don't mention it, you don't get the extra 10% off. So do that. This podcast is also supported by something that I use every single training session. And I'm talking about the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program. The exercises and the methodology provided by 343 completely changed the way that I coach my teams, and I have never looked back. If you are an ambitious coach that is serious about learning how to coach possession soccer, this program is for you. The 343 membership is a powerful and effective online program for coaches who are looking for a proven methodology and a high-quality education for a fraction of the price of other licenses and courses that are out there. This program is for coaches of all levels, whether it's club, high school, college, or even pro. And when you sign up, you get 24-7 access to videos of actual training sessions and games, which showcase the proven 343 methodology. You also get a series of ebooks, audio lessons, classroom presentations, and you're instantly connected to a nationwide network of other like-minded coaches that are currently enrolled. You can learn more about the benefits of the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program, or if you are ready to sign up, you can just go ahead and go for it. But all of that information is available at 343coaching.com. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Kirk Riddell. All right, let's uh, let's just jump right into it if you're okay with that. I am fine. Let's dive in. All right, perfect. Um, let's start with uh, start with who you are, what what you do, and and kind of describe the the two projects that you're that you're part of that we've kind of discussed that we that we kind of want to talk about today, and then then I'm going to pick you apart with some questions. All right. Uh, okay. My name is Kirk Rudell, and for the last uh, like 25 years, I've been a uh, uh, writer producer in Los Angeles, mostly in television and uh, mostly in half hour TV. And at the same time, uh, I've been a uh, a massive fan of soccer. Uh, I played in played my whole life, played in college as a uh, a pretty terrible walk on backup goalkeeper for a very, very good team um, and had the the, the fun privilege of being coached by Bob Bradley, who, uh, uh, yeah, was, which was an incredible experience and, and, and had a, a moment. Sorry, John, let me just give me just one sec. No problem. There we go. Sorry about that. Um, so yeah, uh, so anyway, so, okay. About me, I've been, uh, for the last 25 years, I've been a writer producer in LA, mostly in TV and, uh, uh, at the same time, a massive lover of the game of soccer. And uh, I played it when I was younger, got to play it in college, and now I live through my kid, as so many uh, middle-aged ex-players do. And I have a 14-year-old daughter who who has been kicking a ball since she could walk. And a few years ago, uh, she started getting into the club scene and when we found that there was no great club option for, especially for girls in Los Angeles, uh, some of the other parents on the team, along with the coach who we loved, started a brand new all-girls soccer club in LA. So for the last three years, I've been a writer-producer 
and also president of a girls soccer club. And those are, uh, I think, to my to my wife's dismay, those are the, the two massive parts of my life. Now, something you just said is interesting to me, and, and people are going to hear that and, and be confused because you said that there were no great options for girls soccer in Los Angeles, and other people will be like, "Well, that's actually a hotbed for for girls soccer." So, wh- what what were some Absolutely. of the things that what, what what were some of the things that that you noticed that that made you feel that way? So absolutely, the the so the big issue about playing soccer in the middle of a city. Playing soccer generally, you need great coaches and you need access to fields. Uh, I think those are the key ingredients. And then I think the third part of that is is uh, uh, if you're trying to build great players, is uh, access to free play also. And I think that those are sort of if you're trying to build great young players, it's like you need great coaches who can give them technical ability. You need access to fields uh, in a safe place. And then you need to give them room to just play and, and, and enjoy the game themselves. And those are tougher to find in the middle of a city where there's less green space and the green space there is usually requires a permit to get on. And so when my daughter made the move from AYSO to club, uh, we, uh, someone had found this young coach who had never coached girls before he'd coached professional women he'd coached boys he'd played in college his father ran a soccer academy in indiana so he grew up with the game and uh, uh another dad who had played in a men's league with this guy and the guy's name is jacob tudela asked jacob hey do you want to coach some eight-year-old girls and jacob decided to see what that would what that would look like and so a few girls met him at a at a park for on a random afternoon and he ran them through a session and i had been planning to coach my kid maybe for one more year and i saw jacob and what he could do and realized that uh it was way way better than what i could do and so we were sold and we went with jacob and we found a and we had to find a club that would sort of put us under their umbrella and so for a few years we went to a couple different boys clubs that we became their girls side um i think there's an advantage for boys clubs to pick up girls teams because they suddenly get access to grants that they didn't have before uh they can they can generate more club dues it's it's financially useful for them to have girls teams but what we found is there's not always a commitment to treating the girls sides equally and that was super frustrating when we would be paying club dues to a club and find that the fields we were getting were uh, didn't have goals, didn't have lights. And so when it's November and the sun's going down at 530 and me and a couple of the parents are lugging a thousand pound gas generator out of a, like a fenced storage area at a school and cranking it up and getting you know a third of the field sort of lit for the girls to train on. And then we find out that there are a couple fields with lights that boys teams are playing on at the same time. We we awakened to the fact that uh, field space is limited, but boys were the priority for these other clubs and didn't feel right to us, didn't feel right to Jacob. And so Jacob, when we told Jacob, I think, you know, we think you're ready for a club. You've wanted to start one. What do you think? And he said, if I can get fields and have and have that, uh, I can build a club. It's just 
we've got to get the permits. And that means dealing with uh, LAUSD and permit offices downtown. It's this whole labyrinthine system of trying to obtain permits. So it's a hard entry point for anyone looking to just get out on a field and play is you've got to fill out the paperwork and get the insurance. And all that stuff is important, but it's not what it's like out in the suburbs in Southern California, which is more of the Southern California hotbed where you can just roll out to a big field and go play. And, and it's a lot cheaper. And so I think that's really, that was the barrier for us was getting access, equal access for girls. But then, you know, it's like, it's, it's it, the, the number of fields is, is limited in LA and everyone's picking for this. Everyone's picking at the same, at the same piece of land and uh, and there's not that much to go around so fortunately we were able to get ourselves set up right in the middle of the city and get the field space and from there we've been able to develop but it's it's really tough to just take that first step to get going when you guys set out to to start this team it sounds like you were you were the coach or it sounds like you had a, a group of girls maybe in, in a in a recreation program that wanted to take things a little bit more serious did uh did you have this idea that you would you would ultimately be starting a club soccer team? And then did you ever have like the the hint that you would be starting an all girls soccer club? Not at all. No, I, I've had no plan. For someone who, you know, who was passionate about the game, uh, I was really uneducated about the youth soccer scene out here. I, you know, I, I we went into AYSO because that's what people did. But that next club step, I did not know where to go for that, what was involved. I sort of knew the names of a couple of teams. I knew that they would require from where I lived. They'd require a bit of a drive. Uh, I didn't know what the tryout situation would be. And, you know, my daughter and I were talking about it recently because she has been playing under Jacob. She's 14 now, so it's going into her sixth year of playing with him. And we said, I, I don't know what her soccer life would have been if if this other dad hadn't met Jacob playing in a men's league. I think that we would have, you know, I would have Googled soccer clubs. I would have asked around a little bit. We would have gone to gone to a couple of tryouts. And then she may well have been on uh, a team that, to me, based on what we've seen out here, doesn't develop kids the way we're trying to. And uh, yeah, so absolutely was not expecting to uh, to have any kind of of role in getting something like this off the ground. Now, something else that comes to my mind too is that without the experience that you went through as the recreational coach and as uh, a, a soccer dad trying to find a good a good home for not only your daughter but it sounds like a, a, a team full of uh, other people's daughters, it, without you going through that experience. Um, you wouldn't be offering what you offer today because you you sound it sounds like you went through some pretty horrific experiences of of the la soccer scene so how how did that impact you um it definitely look it informs the what we're trying to build and look there's no there's no right way to play soccer there's no right way to build a club but i think that there are you know there are best practices that I think we aspire to and and I carry over lessons from my from my TV life you know I've 
when I was coming up in TV and, and just working on staffs, I would learn good ways to run a TV show from people who did it really well. But I learned just as much working for people who didn't do it well. Right. I mean, that's always a, a classic life thing is you can learn a lot from what not to do uh, as well as the good examples. And I think that's, that's been useful for me as we're sort of getting this club going is, uh, you know, we can, you look at, at, uh, you know, you look at how good teams set themselves up, how good clubs comport themselves. And you say, great, we want to emulate that. That's, that's the model we want. But in the same way, we can look at a club that, uh, you know, doesn't communicate with parents that, that churns through coaches that, that plays, uh, a style on the field that, that is negative or cynical and we can say good all right that's not us and so based on or just on the simple thing a club that that is dismissive of its girls teams and say that's not us and so the sales pitch becomes easier because of that experience because of what we went through i can look at these parents and go yeah no i that club you're at now we went through that i i get it um you know, I've, yeah, I lugged the lights out too. Uh, our kids were were slipping around on a on a skating rink of bad turf, shooting at you know at, at cones because there were no goals. Um, there are worse problems in the world, but if you're paying club dues or if you want your kid to develop, you want something better than that, and that's what we've got. And so, absolutely, sort of the choices that we try to make as a club uh, are are a lot of times sort of let's get away from where we were as much as let's run to where we want to go. If How, that makes sense. No, it, 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 make, it makes a lot of sense, man. Um, and I, and I'm, people are going to be listening to this the same way that I'm listening to, to you speak about it. And be like, yeah, I, I did that too. <laughs> like I, I remember like lugging the lights and, and Look, well, there was like, there was a great documentary on, uh, on the women's national team and sort of the history of the women's national team. And you know, the, the, back you know april heinrichs and and the women in that world cup team or or even the early you know the the mia ham in the early days coming up for tryouts and them lugging goals onto the field to go practice and you know and even now our club has a, a relationship with hope solo who's been a really great advocate for what we're trying to do um a big part of our club is is diversity and 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 access i think that Southern California is a hotbed for soccer, but it has mostly been a hotbed for soccer for people who can afford to play club soccer. And uh, it hasn't been great at at reaching underserved communities. And we're not perfect with that, but we're trying. It's a big part of our club DNA is to try to be uh, what we like to say is we look like Los Angeles. That's what we're trying to be. And uh, and so hope has been a big part of trying to sh- trying to spread that message. But she's also a great model for what women had to go through and still have to go through in fighting for equal equal pay, equal opportunities. Can we play on grass, not on turf? <laughs> any of that, any of that stuff that even at the highest level, they're still fighting for. And I think what we're trying to give our daughters is. Uh, a step up from what those women a generation or two before had to go through, uh, but also the knowledge that they can fight for stuff 
and and they shouldn't have to but if it's not there yeah you fight for it um so that's been that's a big part of it too so uh, two questions come to mind um by the way that had absolutely nothing to do with the question you asked but it is but i i think in terms of like that sort of like lugging the goals out we've been like you're right i think a lot of people who listen to this are like yeah no we dragged those big goals out too uh we you know our kids were playing on dark fields with you know like hey everyone put the headlights on and look at the cars that are parked outside and let's get 10 more minutes so we can finish this drill um that's and look some of that is fun some of that is you got to be scrappy and you got to love the game and you know what i've also told these girls is uh they're very fortunate to play in the fields they do have and again any of these opportunities and that there are kids around the world who who don't have anything close to this so the problems that our girls have in los angeles getting a place to play in the grand in the grand scheme of things these are these are not these these are these are solvable problems they're not the worst things in the world but um but every problem we can fix is, is a step forward yeah, that, that that reminds me of uh, one of the skits from from or one of the the bits from Dave Chappelle's latest special. I think he talks about like you know there's starving kids in Africa. Like, what are you complaining about here? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, I I need to eat lunch too. Like, you know, exactly. I, like that's ju- right. Just because there's problems somewhere else in the world doesn't mean you know that my problem isn't a problem. So I, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um. So so the t- the two questions that came to mind when you when you were talking about that that last little bit was when did this become a fight? And I, and I, and I agree with you that, that it is a fight and I like that you described it like that. So wh- when did this switch from just trying to find a place for, for these little girls to play to it becoming a fight? And then the second question would be, do the girls now know that this is a fight? Do they know that they're, that they're part of something that is, that is, you know, a, a bigger, bigger than just a soccer club? I think so my daughter's part of that first group of girls that first met with Jacob. And so they're the oldest team we have. And as we built the club, we were trying to build it in a sustainable way. So it's about sort of slow, steady growth. And so we haven't, we haven't grabbed teams that we could have grabbed that were older just to sort of throw them into the club and, and get the dues. We're trying to sort of build a team with a coherent philosophy. But what that means is, uh, I think for the younger girls coming in, it's just, oh, this is a cool all-girls club that just exists. So this is just what it is. I think that definitely my daughter's year, because they went through the stuff at the other clubs, uh, they went through having uh, practice canceled because a club told us that the permit fell through and then someone driving by the field and seeing boys playing on the club, uh, boys playing on the field. Um, I think our girls that that age group and they're they're 2005s uh they are aware that some 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 fights have happened on their behalf uh for sure like they and and definitely and they're definitely i think much more aware of the world around them and aware of larger fights happening in the world uh that i think you know as always soccer can become uh you, you know soccer can be a microcosm for a lot of things but when you talk about representation when you talk about equal rights when you talk about immigration when you talk about racism like all those things happen in soccer and you can talk about them in the premier league but you can also talk about in in girls youth soccer in los angeles and so i think that 
that yeah, those 13, 14 year old girls are definitely they're they're pretty savvy about the this the sort of socio political things that that are bubbling under the surface that they are on the front line of. Yeah, and and now you're you're getting into stuff that's you know a lot more than than just youth soccer, and so it, it's just kind of amazing how you guys set out to to play AYSO. And now all of a sudden you're 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 tackling things like inclusion, um, uh, racism, uh, equal equal rights, and things like that. So when when did you notice that that switch was happening? Like when did you notice that that you're you're now fighting all of these different different battles? It was no longer just hey we want to play soccer. Now now you're fighting well, on, on I, look, all of these fronts because because it's there you have to talk politics and i think you have to talk about the 2016 election which is when uh, you know when trump is elected and uh muslim bans are happening and people are 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 having uh demonstrations at airports and uh and the you know immigrant communities were suddenly incredibly vulnerable and 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 being threatened and people dropping their kids off at school or being arrested and deported because of uh you know an old moving violation or even a mistake because their name sounded like someone else's name i had a lot of really candid conversations with families on the team who said don't be surprised if some families stop showing up if some families stop dropping their kids off to practice. Uh, don't be surprised if uh, some families don't want to go to a tournament in San Diego because there's a checkpoint on the way and that could be dangerous. And that was really sobering to me. These are, uh, you know, again, without, without banging the drum too hard, these are great families who go to work and pay taxes. And these are great kids who just want to come out and play soccer. And suddenly they are being, uh, uh, they're being made to feel vulnerable and afraid living their everyday lives and doing the stuff that, that I was fortunate enough to take for granted. And it forced me to not take it for granted. So I think, uh, you know, not that, and ultimately, all we could try to do was provide as safe a place as we could, but we had to also reckon with the idea that, yeah, what would happen if us or other clubs in, in LA were suddenly confronted with, uh, you know, ICE officers hanging out outside the gates. And uh, that was, that was sobering. And so I think that suddenly, uh, you know, and, and, Suddenly, the, the the mission of the club, the the inclusion mission of the club, became more than just, uh, uh, you know, a slogan or or something that looks good on a website. It was important, uh, and we wanted to try to do, you know, we wanted to provide as much uh, support as we could for every family we had, and and the club became about. Look, ultimately, it's about soccer. It's about, you know, we want to give kids a place to run around, make friends, uh, feel strong, make good memories. My big thing that I tell parents is uh, I want your kid to come away from this experience loving the game because it's a great game. And so for the rest of their lives, I want them to go, yeah, I, I like soccer. 
I've got great memories from there. I made friends. I've got that. That was a good part of my life. And if it takes them to college, if it takes them to the pros, if it takes them to the national team, that's a bonus. That's great. But that's not what we're promising as a club. The only thing we can promise is we want you to enjoy this experience. So ultimately, it's about going out and having girls play soccer. But as I would talk to some of these parents about what was going on in their lives or or in their communities, uh, it definitely it, it definitely felt like we were like it or not. We were part of something bigger. I can I can imagine I can imagine that as well. There's there's a lot of similarities to the way that I kind of grew up playing soccer and, and the area that I was from and, and I can I can see some of the similarities and, and what comes to mind is how your your soccer past uh, has either influenced or shaped the way that you're that you're handling the situations and and what I mean by that too it, it not necessarily how how it shaped how you're handling these things but what you didn't notice throughout your soccer background that you are now noticing um as as a director of a club as a president as a father um you know we're uh see i guess, I guess i'm kind of getting off track is that um you went when you, when, me there. i've been off track the whole yeah, time when, when yeah. um when you were growing up playing soccer and, and through your college experience you don't look at things the way that you look at them now as a director so i guess can you look back at those experiences and see, oh, like, you know, this was just done for me. Like, I, I didn't have to do, go through all these things because this was just done for me in my community or by my parents or by my club. And and now as a director, you're you're going through these and, and you're the one that has to do these things. You're the one that has to <laughs> offer these programs. You're the one that has to has to protect uh, what what oh, you sure. have and things like that. That's that's where my brain was. I, I, I didn't know how to formulate that thought or, or even a question of that. But that's kind of just what was going on in my head as I was listening to you. Look I, look, I think in a lot of ways, uh, I've, I've, I know my experiences, my experiences in the last few years have, uh, have brought me to, uh, in the, in the dumbest possible formulation, question a lot of my privilege, right, and, 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 uh, and wake up a little bit from what, again, as you're saying, what was always kind of laid out for me. Uh, never questioned that the bus was going to show up to take me to the field, that we would, uh, you know, the other team would show up to play, that things would just sort of get handled. And absolutely, now that I'm on the other side, and by the way, I'm not even in the worst of it. There are other parents who volunteer to do that that permit stuff. Uh, I'm, I've, I've managed to sort of stay out of that fray, but, you know, there are parents who spend, volunteer, and, you know, in addition to their law practice, they spend a lot of time uh, emailing, calling, going down to permit offices to try to to try to do it right, to try to make sure that we're playing by the rules, that we have all the forms we need to have signed, uh, and it's a huge, it's it's tough. And so, seeing all the work behind the scenes that goes into, yeah, the fields are going to be there, and the other team's going to show up, is insane. And so, uh, definitely, much much respect for the people that that did it for me. Um, and and we're just we're now trying to pass it on to uh, a different generation. But in my case, it was uh, it was mostly white guys on the East Coast, and now we're looking at a very uh, a very diverse bunch of girls on the West Coast. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. It's a part-time DOC. I had a budget and. 
you know, we needed training gear every year and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent, high quality, affordable training balls. That's Zach. He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others. We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials and construction methods. And, and I think we've really got it dialed in to, to where now, you know, with, with our training balls, we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering 343 members and listeners 10% off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about your, uh, your experience growing up with, with soccer. And, and, and that's going to lead us to another topic about your, your other, your other big project oh, sure. together. So t- tell me a little so, bit about what it was like and, 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 and the importance of, of, yeah, the the area that you grew up in its significance to American soccer. Well, so I grew up, I grew up in Manhattan, and so my soccer life growing up, it was I had one friend who played club soccer in my high school team. For me, soccer was a seasonal sport. I loved it, um, but it was you know in the winter time it was basketball, and in the springtime it would be baseball or something, and then in the summer, kind of play some soccer and some pickup basketball, but. Uh, and so for me, I got pretty good. I was, uh, but my only chance, my, the opportunities that came to play in college were going to be at smaller colleges that I wanted to go to. So I ended up going to Princeton and after two years of playing on a club team there, our club team scrimmaged the JV team and we beat them and I was a goalkeeper and I had a good game. And so, and, and a bunch of my friends played on the varsity team and they said, you know what, we need a backup keeper. And one of my best friends was the starting keeper. And they're like, you know, you should, you should come out next year. And so I went out next year and suddenly I was doing a preseason camp with the guys, with my buddies, but also a bunch of guys I'd been, I'd been watching their games for the first two years. Uh, uh, I got my first practice, someone slammed into me and, and, and just put me down when I was reaching to pick the ball up and told me, welcome to division one. And I had to, my, I had no illusions that I was going to come in and, and beat my friend out for the starting gig. Um, my job was to, to prepare him as best as I could for the games and be a decent opposing keeper in drills for the guys and, and then get to sit on the bench and watch uh, a team that was top 20 in the country play against a UCLA team with Brad Friedel and Kobe Jones and uh, you know, just like top teams. And to me, it was, it was a blast to train with them every day. It was amazing to get, you know, I remember it took me a while, but I remember Bob Bradley yelling at me in a practice once after a couple of months of me being on the team. And I was so upset, like, ah, Bob yelled at me, I was bad today. And it wasn't until it, it, it was years later that I realized that, that the fact that he had cared enough to yell was actually a good thing. <laughs> and that it was, again, I was the, I was the last person on Bob's mind, uh, but I was doing well enough that he cared enough that I'd be better. 
And and that was a constant thing for Bob was like, it's got to be better than that. It's got to be, you know. And uh, and that that experience of getting to be on that team for two years meant a lot to me. Um, most of the guys on that team, a lot of the guys on that team had grown up in New Jersey and had been very influenced by the town of Kearney. And so, and, and that starting goalkeeper, a guy named Tom McCabe, uh, after college became a historian and his passion is soccer history and New Jersey history. And so he was working on a book about the history of soccer in New Jersey and specifically Kearney, because back in the 1870s, uh, there were these big thread mills that were built in Kearney. So I had grown up just a few miles away, but it had not been a part of my, of my life growing up. But just across the river from New York were these giant thread mills and Scottish immigrants came over to find work and they brought soccer with them. And so soccer was in Kearney, New Jersey before it was in Brazil. It was different Scots who went to Brazil who brought the game with them there years later. And so what Tom was fascinated by was the idea that as Americans, we have this insecurity about soccer. Ah, it's not even, it's not really our game. We call it soccer when everyone else calls it football. We just, we don't do it right. We don't really, we're sort of pretenders. When we care about soccer, the rest of the world sort of laughs at us and say, you don't really get it. And Tom's sort of his, his scholarship was, it's a U.S. game as much as it's anyone else's game. And we should own that. And in the town of Kearney, it was these waves of immigrants over the years who were always playing soccer. And so the history of soccer in the world, you can see it in the history of soccer in Kearney. And so Tom wanted to uh, to turn that idea into a documentary. He was working on a book and he and another guy uh, who grew up in Kearney were talking about this idea and that they said, let's make it a documentary. And Tom called me and said, I know that you're a screenwriter. You're the closest thing I know to a documentarian. <laughs> Do you have any advice? And we had a few phone calls about it. And I loved the story because it was about soccer, which I'll talk about with anybody all day. Uh, again, drives my wife crazy whenever we're traveling anywhere. Soccer is all I'll just... I'll, I'll talk about the game with anybody and, and it is the great sort of equalizer and bringing together of, of, of anywhere I go. Um, so yeah, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about soccer, but also, uh, it was to me the sort of quintessential American immigrant story because back in the late eighties, it was three guys from Kearney, uh, a guy who'd moved from Uruguay, uh, Tab Ramos, a guy whose parents came from Italy Tony Miola, and a guy whose dad came from Scotland, John Harkes, who were the, the backbone of that U.S. team that got the U.S. to its first World Cup since 1950. And those three guys were the heart of the team in 94, where uh, that team that, that beat Columbia out here in L.A. at the Rose Bowl. And arguably, that success is what launched MLS, not even arguably. Uh, the U.S. got the World Cup in 94 because part of the deal to, to, to get the World Cup in 94 is we had to promise a pro league, but we didn't have one and it was still kind of being planned. And if the U.S. had bombed out of the World Cup in 94, there's a chance MLS never really gets off the ground or would have been a really stunted version of what ended up happening. But instead, it 
actually launched pretty well and and for all the ups and downs is now thriving and soccer is thriving and there's towns and communities all over the country now where kids are being raised learning the game in a pretty decent way right learning technical ability playing pickup uh having decent coaches and i think those kids don't realize that they owe a lot to these three guys a couple generations before them and to this to this one town where soccer was always the sport so we worked on that documentary for a couple of years tab john and tony talked to us a bunch of their old buddies talked to us uh we got people from u.s soccer we got uh, uh people from new jersey soccer and were able to build uh i think a really fantastic documentary about soccer town usa about carney about these three guys and sort of the story of a game that is also the story of of immigrants in america and so it's premiering next month at the kicking and screening soccer festival in new york which uh uh, is a fantastic soccer nerd movie festival and Tom and I went and saw a movie there a couple of years ago and and loved it and just said, Damn, this is this is where we want to do it. Like it would be great to have a movie here. And so it was accepted. We're going there next month for uh, for that. And then hopefully uh, we'll be able to figure out a way for lots of people to see it. That's cool, man. It's uh, it's funny to me that you kind of grew up like right there and and it took you you know, a, a number of years later to realize how important and, and, and crucial that was for the, the club that you are now a part of with, uh, with Tudela, like without, without Tab and Tony and John and, and more specifically, it sounds like their parents and, and the people in the generations before them that really built the Carney soccer scene. Um, you could not be more right. And look, that's one thing like, so when we started work on the documentary, the part of the, the last part the last chapter of it was going to be now that the u.s is in the world cup in russia and soccer is thriving in the country let's you know with all these little soccer towns sort of green shoots coming up in all these little soccer towns all over the country let's sort of pay tribute to the original soccer town well when we lost in trinidad (laughs) suddenly we're tearing up the last the last you know 10 minutes in the movie and going "Ah, we don't want to be a downer but what does this mean? And in all of the kind of postmortems of that game, all anyone kept coming back to, you know, I'd listen to my, my serious radio shows and listen to podcasts. And all everyone was saying is the problem with us soccer is we need better coaching. Our kids need to learn how to be technical and they need to learn how to play. They need to play pickup. It can't just be like blowing, you know, coaches blowing whistles and rolling balls out and doing drills. And that's what we're missing. We're missing creativity and technical ability and good coaches. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, that's what I'm doing a documentary about. That's what they had. They grew up playing pickup every day on an old like tennis court that it had the net ripped out where they were slide tackling on concrete and playing five on five where as, as one of the guys, a guy named Rob McCourt, who was uh, John Harks' best friend, he was a teammate with those guys, he's the head coach at Monmouth now, but Rob says in the movie, there's no place to hide. You're going to get found out 5v5. So you got to get your touches right. you got to play, and it was win or go home. 
And so there was a culture of winning because if you sat, you were going to sit for a couple hours and maybe not get back on. So all that culture everyone said we needed had been in Kearney for 150 years. And it was the exact culture that we were trying to build out in L.A. with Tudela. So you're right. Everything to me, I'm like, we're doing it right. They did it right. It's here. You just got to encourage those clubs and those places that are doing it right. And, and, and to your other point, it really resonated. We did talk to there were some dads in Kearney who in the 1970s when when the mills had closed and uh, Kearney became there was a lot of drug and alcohol abuse. I think that the Kearney area became because it was near Newark Airport and ports. It became a big drug distribution center. And uh, some of the dads got together to start a soccer club that would give their kids a safe place to play. And it was, uh, you know, it was a Scottish town. So it was Rangers and Celtics. So they picked Thistle FC as the name of the club. So it would be neutral. And uh, but the dads talking about the kids that they coached about the uniforms they bought for kids who couldn't afford them and about the kids who didn't make it out of Kearney uh, was incredibly affecting to me because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing what I'm going to be in a few years looking back at these girls from this club and, uh, and hoping to give them what these guys tried to give their kids. It's exciting to hear you talk about the stories, man, and I'm I'm, I'm honestly excited to to see the movie. Um, I'm excited for you to see it. Um, yeah, definitely hoping the next step will be trying to figure out, uh, yeah, where we can get it distributed. But but if we can get some screenings out here in the West Coast, uh, you know, I will be hitting everyone up uh, via the Soccer Town USA Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where, where where can people connect hard. with uh, where can people connect with you and connect with uh, with the people involved in the project or or, or find out more about the project? Uh, so for the documentary, I think the easiest way, honestly, like I just, you know, for Tom and, and the other filmmakers and I just created this, uh, it's soccer town underscore USA, uh, on Twitter because I'm too old to figure out Instagram, um, much to my daughter's delight, I think. <laughs> um, but that seemed like the easiest way to spread. So we put the trailer up a couple days ago and I think we'll just have some, any updates or news about that. I think we'll be, that'll be the place to go. And then um, where can people find out more about Tudela and Jacob and, and everything that's going on in, in L.A.? And I actually, I, I wanted to point out earlier, um, and I should have mentioned that I've, I've been down to watch you guys train only one time, but um, people think of L.A. as like this you know glamorous lifestyle, like the Hollywood Hills and, and mansions and whatever. And it's like where I went to watch you guys train, it was a high school in the middle of Hollywood, but not a glamorous area by any means. Like it, it, it's kind of like a, a rough spot to be in and traffic, you know, surrounding yeah. the school and access to the school was terrible and, you know, chain link fences and security guards and, and, and whatnot. So it's like the people's, I, I think people's perception of LA or Hollywood specifically is a little bit tainted unless you've been there and walked the streets and, and realize that eh, it's not, it's not what it's all cracked up to be in the movies. Well, and look, that's important to us. We're not the kind of manicured lawn, uh, above the city facility we're not out in we're in the middle of it and and you went to one of our two fields the other field we have 
is it's yeah it's right off a freeway uh it's connected to a big school that actually has uh it's like a huge facility with a public school and a couple of charter schools and one of the charter schools is it's in east hollywood it's for uh severely at-risk kids and one of the things that we try to do as a club there is to remind the parents again like we're a city school and we're part of this community is we volunteer at that school for a mentoring program that they do every year for their kids um, because we do want to be good citizens, but we do want our families to be aware of the fact if they're not already that, yeah, that, that there's a big part of the city. That's not, <clears throat> that's not the one you see in most TV shows and movies or the ones that a lot of families live in every day. And I think those families appreciate it and they appreciate it for their kids that it's a reminder to their kids that they are part of a larger community than maybe the, 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 safer or more detached lawns and, and Starbucks that they spend most of their days in. Um, yeah, we're, we are a city club and, and Jacob, uh, and his group are doing an incredible job building it. Um, and you can see a lot of what they're doing on the club's Instagram because they are younger than I am and way cooler <laughs> than I am. Um, and so the club has a pretty good Instagram, uh, called Tudela. F-C-L-A, T-U-D-E-L-A, F-C-L-A. And uh, I think it's different than a lot of clubs, Instagram or social media, because we really emphasize uh, the kids going out and getting at it. Like, it's not, with all respect, it's not sort of, you know, girls in pigtails holding trophies and smiling. It's girls beating the hell out of each other uh, and and doing drills and doing some really high-level technical stuff. And what we want to show is that's what we're about. It's, it's about getting girls and turning them into fantastic players, expressing themselves on the field, pushing themselves. Uh, and, uh, you know, as Jacob says, you, you coach them like, treat them like they're guys, treat that shouldn't matter. They're soccer players. And, and I think the girls really like that that that's how they are treated. They're not babied. Uh, and that's what they want. They want that where it's more respectful to say you're a soccer player than, than anything else. Perfect. Um, and if you, do you have time for one more question? I do. Okay. Cause I, I asked I the same, like, go ahead. No, I, I please. I'm happy. I'm, I, I feel like I've been rambling. And so, uh, but I'm happy to, to answer anything. No, all good. Um, I ask the same question to end every interview and, and the wide array of, of answers and the diversity of answers is, is super interesting to me. I got to do something like a project with all these answers one day, but um, what do, what do people need to know? What, what do people need to know about American soccer, about youth soccer, about LA soccer, New Jersey soccer? It's, it's a question that you can kind of, you can take it and run with it however you want, but what do, what do people need to know? What people need to know is that, uh, there's as much love for the game of soccer here as anywhere in the world. And that uh, if it's nurtured the right way, and I'm saying the right way is if there is a right way, but let's just say if it's nurtured, uh, I think it's the most beautiful game and, uh, and, and great things can happen. So we see it at Tudela. We saw it in Kearney. Um, some really special things can happen through the game that are not just on the field, but outside of the lines as well. Uh, and I think soccer is pretty, pretty special that way as a sport. So it's here. 
it just as a country we need to stop apologizing for liking the game or loving the game and own the fact that it's been here a long time we have as much a right to it as anyone else does so let's let's try to do it the right way and and let's not treat it like every other game we have here um let's not just blow the whistle and roll the balls on the field let's be passionate about it because we're allowed to be beautiful i i was taking notes the entire time and, and i just i had a barely enough space on my note card to to write down that last little quote that you said own the fact that it's been here a long time and we have we we have uh like you mentioned earlier kind of like this in inferior inferiority complex is that right we uh, do i think i think we do <laughs> yeah i know again like when you when i you know i remember like i was talking to like a, a german guy once he was he was up i was we were in europe i was in a restaurant there was a german guy who was who was waiting on us and we were talking i don't know somehow soccer came up and there was a second where he was wondering like am i like do i have to talk about soccer with this american guy <laughs> and then like i went fairly deep down the dortmund roster and was talking about you know the the the, the you know das reboot and you know and going kind of into a little bit of german soccer history and suddenly he kind of opens up and loosens up and we had a great chat but i think that yeah i think that that we do have an inferior like i had to prove that i could talk about the game with him and uh i think that we should just say no it's our game too and let's do it our way and let's stop uh, and let's also stop saying like we're going to be American players because we're going to run really fast and train really hard and be industrious. Let's be where's our creativity. And I think that's a big thing is um, and this, I'm sorry, this is going off on a tangent. But like when I got out of college, I started playing. I would just play pickup in Central Park in New York. And when I moved to L.A., I play pickup in parks here. And what I loved is, you know, you'd see packs of guys come in and every pack of guys would be a different nationality who would come down to the park to play. And everyone sort of had their own style, right? That's sort of what you see a lot. And, and then there was something exciting about the styles kind of blending on the field. And a lot has been said now about how the styles in, in top level European soccer have been mixing so much that, that they're sort of all becoming one style. But I think that, that the idea that all of the waves of immigrants who've come to this country, all the waves of people from different places who've come here and brought their styles, there should be a really exciting, cool American style that comes from that. That's more interesting than just let's kick it and run really hard. And so what I'm excited for is, uh, is watching kids be developed to say, yeah, be proud of your style, be proud of how you express yourself and, and put it out there and put on a show and be beautiful, be, be good and win, but, but be entertaining. And, and let's see what we can get from that. I'm on board, man. Right. I'm 100% on uh, board. <laughs> that's what, uh, that's, that's the dream. So that's what, again, that's what I think in their way, that's what the folks at Carney were trying to do every day when they were playing pickup. That's what our kids at Tudela are trying to do. And, uh, and, and what I'm hoping is that it happens in a lot more places. The more the merrier. The more the merrier. I 100% agree.
All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.